Hello. Morning. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Mike, and I'm going to be uh, reading from the Word of God for the sermon. So would you please stand for the reading of the Word? I'm going to be reading Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 17. This is from the English Standard Version. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Pardon me. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are, of God are the sons of God. If you did not receive, or, yeah, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Thank you. Please be seated. Thank you, Mike. Good morning. It's been a little while since I've seen you guys. It's great to see you. I, I actually really did miss you. I walked in this morning and I thought, man, like, I didn't think about it too much. You know, I was busy uh, with a lot of things. And, uh, <laughs> pardon me, the short person is here. There we go. Um, you know, I was busy chasing a newborn around. Or actually staying up with the newborn. Yeah, that would be really cool, right? Uh, so I didn't think about it too much, but when I came in here, I just thought, wow, I've really missed being with you on Sundays, so it's good to be back with you. Uh, as you know, um, I am now father. Her name is Scarlett Grace. She was born a couple weeks ago. And, uh, I do have a, uh, you're going to have one of those is he really going to share a picture of his kid now moments? Yes, he is. So go ahead and uh, there she is. That is at uh, 10.30 at night, and she stayed just like that all through the night. It was great. And then there's another picture of uh, Mom and Scarlett. Emily's doing well. Thank you for your prayers and your love. You can see that that's uh, this morning. They took that picture. You know, I, I asked for an Emily-approved picture so that I didn't share something she didn't like. So there's the... But uh, you can see she's asleep during the day. Yep. That's what they do. You know, I was mentally like, yeah, I'm not going to sleep that much. I was not as prepared for that as I thought I was. So, praise God, he is good. All right. Um, so, th we are going to close out our series on the fruit of the Spirit today. We're going to be talking about self-control. And this, is, this can be a tricky one because, as we've said before, a lot of times we like to treat the fruit of the Spirit like it's kind of this checklist, right? Like it, 
like you're going out for shop, shopping, you know what I mean? And so you're like, all right, I got to work on this thing. All right, now I have the faithfulness part, and I have the gentleness part, and well, most of the time, and I have the, the joy part, and this and that. And so we want to treat this like a grocery list. But the scripture calls the fruit of the Spirit the fruit of the Spirit because it's what comes out of the ground after, it's, after what's been planted. Right? So we have a tendency to want to get down on ourselves because we might not exhibit some of the fruits of the Spirit as well as we think we should. Right? How many times have you said to yourself, you know, I really wish I had better control of myself right now. Has anyone, um, has anyone ever lost their temper with you? <laughs> right. Now, after the person has lost their temper, have they ever apologized by explaining to you why it's your fault that they lost their temper? Right. Now, what are you thinking when that happens? Yeah. <laughs> I heard a yeah, right. That's exactly right. When I was a kid, there was someone in my life who did this a lot. And uh, I remember thinking how absurd this conversation was. That it was my fault that you can't control yourself. How is that my problem? Right. But we do this a lot. You know, we, uh, <clears throat> we want to blame external circumstances for our decisions, for our problems, for our choices, because it takes the responsibility off of our shoulders. It's not my fault. Right. You know, like, I can't, you know, I can't afford to pay my electric bill this morning, or this week, but it's not my fault, even though I spent $250 on X thing that I don't need, right? Like, oh, look, it's beautiful. It's hanging on my wall. Well, okay, great, but you can't see it in the dark because your electricity's off. <laughs> right. What happened? I didn't control myself. I dipped into self-indulgence, and now I have a problem. Cause, effect. Right? Uh, we, in the West, we like to bathe ourselves in guilt, right? We, we shift from, from Catholic guilt to Protestant guilt, liberal guilt, conservative guilt, right? We do this because we don't really want to fix our problem. We just want to talk about how bad our problem is and how bad we feel about it. We want, but we still want the problem to be there for some reason, right? We'll talk about how bad it is and how, you know, oh, I wish I hadn't done X, Y, and Z, but we don't do anything about it. We continue to buy the thing that costs $300 when we don't have the money for it. We continue to buy that one extra pair of shoes we don't need. We continue to buy the pay-per-view. You know, how many times are you going to see two people beat each other up in their underwear, right, watching the wrestling? It's a lot of fun to watch. But if we're, but if we're having a problem affording basic stuff, maybe we don't pay the 60 bucks to watch two guys beat each other up in a ring. Right? Maybe we let our friend pay it and go hang out with him. <laughs> If we're having trouble with our finances, maybe we don't spend the 50 bucks on the pair of shoes we don't really need because we have 10 billion pairs of shoes. Now look, I'm talking to myself just with books. I'm ridiculous, okay? 
I can't tell you how many times I've had to say to myself, no, John, you don't really need that. Or I'm reading a book, this is the most dangerous place in the world for me, is the bibliography of a book. Because that's when I go, oh, look at that book! I wonder what the... I want that one. And then I go look it up on my Kindle app, and there it is. And look, it's only $6. But only $6 like 25 times. Not so good. Right. I've had these conversations with Emily. They've been interesting. We live in a time... Now, part of this is because of where we live in the world. We live in a time where self-indulgence is kind of expected. Right? Sometimes we don't know the difference between self-indulgence and self-care. Jesus understood self-care, right? He went off by himself. He spent time alone with the Father. He prayed. He had those things. But there's a difference between self-care and self-indulgence. Believe me, I am learning now the difference between self-care and self-indulgence with my child. I can't tell you how many times I thought, you know, I just want to be on Facebook because I left my phone across the room, but I don't want to get up because she just fell asleep. So then I have to decide what I'm going to do. Oh, well, I guess I'll just pray over my kid. That's good. That's better than Facebook anyway. Right? But I'm learning. I never really understood how self-indulgent I was until I became a father. I've only been a father for a couple weeks. And it's just this very... Very explicit illustration of what a selfish person I still really am. Do you feel out of control a lot? Sometimes, you know, you feel like you just don't have any control over anything. You know, there's like a million things happening around you. You don't have that much control, right? I mean, there are, there are some decisions we make that we have control over, but then there are plenty of things we don't have control over, right? We, you know, our, our, our tire goes flat. Transmission blows in our car. Um, water, water heater tank doesn't work anymore. You know, those kinds of things. Our problem is not the things that we can't control, because like that stuff happens. Our problem is that a lot of times we are out of control. Our circumstances that are just crazy... We let them kind of get in our heads and make decisions for us, right? We kind of let them fool us. We let them tell us lies. We, we convince ourselves that, that our situation will never be fixed, that this, this is our new normal, this horrible thing that's happened, that it will never get better. Or we convince ourselves that we're the only person struggling with whatever it is we're struggling with. That's always a lie, let me tell you. No matter what it is you're wrestling with, there's somebody else that's either going through it or has been through it. But what happens is we allow the external circumstance to control the way that we think, to control us. And it pushes us over here. You've heard me talk before about breaking that chain of cause and effect. Right? When, when we don't have faith in God, when we don't, we don't follow Christ... We have a tendency to just be like molecules in motion. Where things happen, we react, action. Something happens, we react, another action. And it just goes on in this cycle. And we, we just are pushed along in this chain of cause and effect. And Jesus came to help us 
break that chain of cause and effect, where we can take control. But it starts often with taking control of ourselves. So, I just want to remind you of Genesis 3. And I go here a lot, I can't help myself. But, if you've read Genesis 3, this is the fall of man. Right? This is where Adam and Eve, they have that weird conversation with the serpent. It's a weird conversation. It's a serpent talking to you. and It's a strange conversation. And there's this self-indulgence that happens. Right? Eve reaches out for something that she shouldn't have because she's not made for it. She reaches out to try and become something other than what she is. And Adam does the same thing. And of course, nothing that the devil promised happened. And everything he said would not happen, happened. Right? That's often what happens in our lives, right? We reach out for things that we're not really made to do, for things that we know we shouldn't do, and we're lying to ourselves and saying, oh, this, this, bad, this bad consequence, it won't happen to me. It happened to that, I saw what happened to my neighbor, but it won't happen to me, and then it happens to us. And then what do we say? What was me? How did that happen? Right, it's ridiculous. We know how it happened. We did it. But when we're out of control... We surrender responsibility. And so now we genuinely don't understand how it happened because we've shut the blinders off. It's like some kind of weird um, memory block. It's like we don't remember that we knew this would happen. And so that's what happened to Adam and Eve, right? They, uh, they reached out and all the things that they were promised would not happen, happened to them. And all of the wonders and the glory that were promised to them never came. People were made to be angled mirrors. Everyone say angled mirrors. So, we're made to reflect the glory of God into the world. And we're made to reflect the praises of the world back to God. Angled mirrors. So, when we reach out when we take God off of that place where he's not on the throne anymore and we decide to reflect our own image, what we've done is we've now moved the mirror so that it just reflects death on death. We just reflect our own image into the world. But we're not made for that. The world's not made for that. We're made to be in communion with the Creator. When we do that, that's when we find ourselves out of control. Adam and Eve were given authority, right? God said, fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth with the glory of God. Then when they turned and reached out on their own, what happened? All that went away. All the control they had over the world went away. All the control they had over themselves went away. So that their own bodies became their enemy. Do you ever feel that way? Some of us know all too well. We find ourselves out of control. Think about the last time you lost your temper, and when you were done, you're looking back thinking, how did that happen? Like, I, I said I wouldn't do that, but I did it anyway. The last time you spent money, you know you shouldn't have spent. 
like you know. And then later on, someone else needs help. We don't have the money for them. Why? Because we spend it on ourselves ahead of time. Right. Why do I ever have any money? Alright, well how many times have you eaten out this week? Only six times. You mean six times out of seven? Yeah. Alright, well that's why you're broke. Right. Self-indulgence against self-control. Because of how we've been twisted, a lot of times there just isn't any way out of this. We're driven along by our desires. A lot of times we have no idea why. We, they just, we just do things. Right? It's like the Joker in that movie from like 10 years ago when he was like, I don't even know why I do it. I just do it. We're out of control. This is one of the things Jesus came to fix. You see, a lot of times we, we want to treat the gospel, we want to treat Jesus almost like he's a car that gets us to heaven. Okay? We just say certain things, we believe the correct like 10 or 15 things, and we hold on, and then when we pass away, we'll go to heaven. But that's only part of what the gospel is. Because Jesus came to help us recapture what it means to be human. Humans are not out of control. My dad taught me this when I was a kid. He's like, John, one of the key differences between you and an animal is that you are expected to control yourself. Animals are not. In the Old Testament, when an animal was aggressive with another person, the owner of the animal was punished. Not the animal. Why? Because we don't expect animals to control themselves. We expect the people to. We are created to be in control. That doesn't mean we don't have fun. It means we're, be, we're created to have self-control. So, turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. We want to see self-control. Matthew chapter 26 I want to start with verse 50. Now this is, they're in the garden. They're in the garden of Gethsemane. Okay? And Jesus has just finished praying, telling God, not my will, but your will be done. Now, right after this, I believe we have that verse. There we go. So, the hymn is Judas. Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus struck out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? That it must be so. That is self-control. He knows why they're there. Jesus had just spent a week embarrassing 
the Jewish leadership in front of their own people over and over and over and over again. He knew why they were there. He knew what would happen. And Jesus made no move to defend himself. Peter did. In another gospel, it tells us that that's Peter who does that with the sword. Now, why does Peter attack one of the servants of the high priest? Why does Peter attack? You see, in the gospels, when we think about the disciples, a lot of times, we, we, sometimes we will hold them up on this place, right, where they're just amazing, wonderful people. The truth is that Peter had no idea what Jesus was really after. And neither did anyone else. In fact, the only people who seemed to know who Jesus really was and why he was here were the demons whenever Jesus encountered them. They seemed to know exactly who he was. Nobody else did. So when the high priests come with their group of thugs to attack Jesus, and grab him and arrest him, Peter's reacting because he thinks the goal is to conquer Jerusalem and then to conquer the world. That's why he's attacking. He doesn't understand what's happening. And to be honest, I don't blame him. I wouldn't either. I'd either be in the crowd arresting Jesus, or I'd be Peter. Or maybe I'd be like one of the other guys in the back wishing I was Peter. (laughs) But I wouldn't be saying anything like what Jesus says here. The self-control Jesus exercises is frankly incredible. Especially because of the exchanges he's had with the Jewish leadership over the last week. A lot of those guys aren't good guys. And yet he allows them to take him. He submits to their authority. He submits to what they're doing. That is amazing. Now, we think to ourselves, well, John, of course, because Jesus is God. So, of course, he's going to have this stuff. Well, okay, let's back up a second. A lot of times we want to treat Jesus like he's just this kind of uh, divinity with a human suit on. And he's just kind of floating through his life, unreflective, just doing this. Do- he's got a checklist of scriptures that have to be fulfilled. All right, I got that one. All right, so how are we going to do this one today? Oh, well, there's a donkey outside. Oh, we'll do the donkey one today. All right. And then I need the one about, there's this one in Job about me walking on water. I've got to do that one. When do I do that one? Right. So, no. (laughs) Right? That's not how life is. I mean, that would be kind of weird, right? Okay. Jesus faced many of the same things we face. So, how... Did he exercise such self-control? He spent a lot of time with his father. He trusted the Holy Spirit. And he had a goal. He had a goal. Let's read quick what his goal was. Right? I'd rather just you read from his own lips what he thought his goal was rather than me just tell you. Let's jump to verse 63 of the same chapter, Matthew 26. You should have it back there. But Jesus remained silent 
And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now Christ means Messiah. Right? Okay. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. That's his goal. That's what he's hanging on to. If you're wondering, why would he say that? I just want to go to Daniel. This is a prophecy in Daniel. Now I'm just going to read a little bitty piece of it. If you want to read the whole thing later, feel free to do so. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And one more. Revelation 21.3. Again, these are the goals. A lot of times we want to talk about how, we want to talk about Christianity, we want to talk about following Jesus a lot of times, just in terms of where we're avoiding going to hell. Following Jesus is, the point of following Jesus is not to avoid hell. Here's the point. 21.3 And I behold, and behold, a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, I can't read today. Sleep deprivation. I'm just going to blame that for a while. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Now you can find Almost the exact same phrase in Ezekiel chapter 37. If you want to go read that later. It's chapter 37 verses 26 and 27. Where God says, And I will make a dwelling place with them, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. These are the goals Jesus is holding to. He's not just going, Huh, I'm not afraid of you. He clearly is. If you go earlier in Matthew 26, Jesus says, I'm deeply troubled in my spirit. He asks God, God, is there a way for this to be taken from me? I don't, I'd like to not do it this way. This is no vacation. This is no picnic. But he looks these people in the face and he says, I will let you take me because I have a goal in mind. His goal, he's going to rule the world. And he's going to reconcile God to his people. So because of what Jesus has done, we're new creations. 
We have a new creation. The gospel is not just about, oh, now we're not going to hell. It's, no, we have a new life where the old things have passed away. These things that we used to love, that we thought were wonderful, these things that have tried to kill us, that have destroyed us over time, that we have convinced ourselves are good, we now see that they were all nonsense. And now we turn to follow Jesus in a new life where we have an opportunity now to have control over our own decisions. Where we're no longer just plodded along by these desires that are underneath the surface, right? How many times you sit back and you go, why did I react that way? Well, you actually can know if you stop and you let that emotional response or you let that thing you did, if you just follow it all the way back to its source, you might be able to figure it out. But it's only Jesus who can set us free from that bondage to that thing that's in control of us. And so then we find ourselves back in Romans 8. And again, the beauty of the Christian life is that we have been called out of the darkness into the light. And that doesn't mean that we just sit around and sing some hymns and maybe a her, give some money, and then we'll go to heaven. Heaven starts now. Because the kingdom of God is within you. We're not waiting. Our life starts now. And then we carry it with us into that distant future. We live in a place, Christians live in this place called the now and the not yet. Where God has changed our lives and set us aright. And so then we follow him to the not yet. While living in the now. Part of that self-control is appreciating what we have now. I'm staring down at my daughter sometimes, just in the last few days, and I'm thinking ahead, oh man, I can't wait till she's talking at me. I don't know if I should be happy about, if I should be looking forward to that or not. <laughs> you know, I can't wait till she's asking me questions. Also, probably, maybe I shouldn't rush to that. But, if I just spent all my time, yeah, If I just spent all my time thinking about when she grows up, I will miss right now. It's the same with all of us. If we spend all our time thinking ahead, going, I can't wait till I have this over here. Won't my life be great once I have this thing over here that I need? What happens? While we're doing this, all of this cool stuff, we're just missing it. And so then we get ungrateful. Right? And we're like, oh, I can't see. What has God done for me lately? Well, if you were paying attention, you would know. Right. We cannot allow the outside to control us. That doesn't mean that we hide inside of a box and pretend that everything is great. It means that we go out into the world and we change the world, not the reverse. So how do we gain control of ourselves, right? Because so far this is, all right, John, this is great. Jesus came to give us self-control. All right, now how do, we, how do we practice this stuff? Well, we pray a lot. 
Look, nothing I'm going to say is real fancy today. All right? You don't need a college degree. It's a good thing I don't have one of those. You don't need a college degree to figure out what I'm saying. We pray a lot. Because when we pray a lot, it pours out our, our heart to God. Sometimes some really dumb things that sound good inside of our head come out and we're like, oh, that was dumb. <laughs> All right, God, forget that one. Sometimes we need to talk about our circumstances to God. We need to get it out of our system, right? You know, like there's, there, it's like this weird sort of nobility where we, we just take it all in and we don't talk about how bad our trouble is and we just suffer in silence. God doesn't want us to suffer in silence. Even Jesus didn't suffer in silence. On the cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus cried out in Gethsemane. You needn't suffer in silence. We need to fast. Now, I like food. But if you want to learn to control yourself, fasting helps. Because it's your way of telling your body, no, you're not in charge. I am. And some, you know, when we try to fast, we will sometimes fail miserably. It's okay. We just keep going. But if you want to learn how to control yourself, pray a lot, fast. Because these are ways that we submit ourselves to God, that we submit our bodies to the will of God, and to, will, to what God has given us in our hearts. And finally, we have to have goals. Just avoiding hell is not a good enough goal to keep you following Jesus your whole life. Because the fear of that will fade away. Fear's not good enough. We have to be pulled by the love of Christ. The love of Christ changes our lives, changes the hearts within us, changes the hearts of other people. Our goals must be oriented toward following Christ. Our goal must be oriented to knowing God. Did you know there's only two places in the Bible where eternal life is actually defined? And both times, they center around knowing and loving God. Romans 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with us, with our spirit, that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are heirs with Christ. We are heirs with Christ. We are not slaves to those things that we don't understand in us. We are heirs with Christ. We can have self-control because Christ has bought for us a new life.
we can have real goals. The difference often between successful people in life and unsuccessful, and I don't necessarily mean money, I just mean successful in general, is that the successful people had goals, and the unsuccessful people didn't realize they needed goals until it was too late. What has God given you in your spirit? What are you passionate about? We can walk around saying, I want to glorify God. That's a great goal, and we, that should be the overarching reason why we exist. But it's not specific enough. What has God birthed in your spirit? What do you care about? Jesus had a specific mission. He held to it all the way through. What's yours? So today I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you. (laughs) Ollie's not here. Still said it. (laughs) You are not slaves. You needn't be controlled by the external circumstances of life or by the internal fears of your heart. You are heirs together with Christ. And you carry the presence of God where you go. You are literally an intersection of heaven and earth. Don't forget that. New creation. New life. That is who we are.